Father in heaven, we thank you for the powerful witness that Jeremiah gives to us. We appreciate the fact that you strengthened him to go through so much opposition and persecution to proclaim your message. And we ask that you would help us to learn from that example. We ask that you would help us to comprehend the lessons that you've put in the book of Jeremiah for us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight we're doing part one of Jeremiah. Jesus Christ, the righteous branch. The name Jeremiah, in, in Hebrew it's Yermiyahu, means Yahweh establishes or established by Yahweh. The name is certainly characteristic of the man. Jeremiah was an anchor in turbulent waters. He lived in some very difficult times. Another possibility involving vowel point change is Yarim Yahu, which meaning uh, he exalts Yahweh or Yahweh exalts. Do you know, you understand what, um, what, what I mean by vowel point change? Uh, the ancient Hebrew language that the Old Testament was written in didn't have any vowels, any vowel pointing. It just had the, the consonants. So in some cases, there would be two words that had the same consonants, but they had different vowels. So usually you can tell from the context which word is intended, but sometimes, especially with, with names of people or places, it's, it's hard to know for sure which, which, uh, which one is the correct one. It would be like if English didn't have any vowels and you, and you came across the word HT, well, is it hit or hot or hat or hate? Or, you know, you would, usually you could tell from the context, but sometimes you might not be able to. The prophet Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, wrote the book. He was raised in a small town outside of Jerusalem called Anathoth and composed most of his book with the help of his secretary, Baruch. Jeremiah wrote his book between 625 and 580 B.C. He was constantly adding to it during the years of his ministry. This era in Israel's history, which spanned the reigns of Josiah to Zedekiah, the last five kings of Judah, is covered in 2 Kings uh, chapters 22 through 25. Jeremiah continued to prophesy after the destruction of Jerusalem and subsequent to Babylonian captivity in 586. Uh, there's a map I wanted to show you where Jeremiah's hometown was. So that, this is Anathoth. Uh, the Canaanite name of Jerusalem was Jebus. And that, that's King David conquered the city and changed the name to Jerusalem and made it his capital. But Anathoth, where um, Jeremiah is from, is about three miles or so to the northeast of Jerusalem. So that's where Anathoth is. Anathoth was one of the Levitical cities giving to, given to the children of Aaron within the territory of the tribe of Benjamin. So the tribe of Levi didn't receive a tribal allotment like the other tribes did. They just had uh, 48 cities that were scattered throughout the land of Israel. And Anathoth was one of those one of those cities. And we do think that, that Jeremiah was of a, of a priestly background. 
The book of Jeremiah takes us from the heights of God's divine perspective on his people and their enemies to the figurative and literal bottom of a well. We'll learn more about that next week, or not next week, but next time we have class. Jeremiah compromises, comprises a series of oracles, prophetic writings, transcribed over a period of more than 40 years during the reigns of several kings in the southern kingdom of Judah. So he was a prophet for quite a number of years. Jeremiah had the unsavory assignment of declaring to the nation of Judah that the sky was falling, judgment was coming. But just like Chicken Little, he got a uh, little to no response. It's never a popular message is it, that, that trouble is coming. The Babylonians were coming, but Jeremiah was up against a group of false prophets who were saying that everything was just fine, that there was nothing to worry about. So not only would people not accept Jeremiah's message, they liked the, the smooth things. They, they liked the reassurance that everything was going to be fine. We can divide Jeremiah into three sections. Book ended on one end by the story of the prophet's calling, so that's what we begin with. And on the other end, the conclusion of the book, it's a, an appendix reviewing the history of Jerusalem's fall and exile. So it's uh, showing us that the prophecies of Jeremiah, at least regarding Israel's captivity and subsequent return to the land, that those finally did come true. Both of God's uh, impending judgment, these were Jeremiah's proclamations, both of God's impending judgment and of his promises of restoration and renewal. So yes, Judah would be punished, but eventually they would be brought back to the land. And then there are also some prophecies about the millennial kingdom. So, so the first chapter is that uh, preparation of Jeremiah formulated, so that's about his calling. And then at the end, you have that predictions of Jeremiah fulfilled. And then the, the main bulk of the book is uh, chapters 52 through 51 is that center section, proclamations of Jeremiah foretold. So that's the, the main bulk of the book. So let's take a, a look at that uh, middle section there where all of the, the meat of the book is, the proclamations of, of Jeremiah foretold. Uh, in chapters two through four, we see concern criticism, criticism of, of Judah and their, their ways against God. And then chapters five and six are counterfeit counsel about the, the false prophets who were preaching a pleasant message, a good, uh, good uh, you know, happy, happy talk. Then uh, chapters seven through 10 are consternation with the congregation, the, the trouble that, that Jeremiah had trying to, to get people to repent and change their ways and frustration of that. Uh, in chapters 11 through 20, we have uh, colorful case studies. There's a, there's a series of metaphors that, that uh, God gives, a series of object lessons. But there is that certainty of conquest that is coming in chapters 20, 21 through 29. Uh, then in chapters 30 through 33, we read about a change of covenant. There's a new covenant coming, we are told in, in Jeremiah. Chapters 34 through 38, we have the cost of consistency. Jeremiah discovered that there was a high price for consistently preaching the word of God. He had to pay a heavy price for that. 
And then finally, the care after the captivity in chapters 39 through 51. After uh, Judah is taken into captivity, God continues to, to care for them. And eventually brings them back and will in the future bring them back in an even greater way. Jesus and Jeremiah shared a lot of character traits. When Jesus asked his disciples who people were saying he was, they mentioned Jeremiah as a possibility. When, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do, who do people say that I am? Of, of all of the prophets of the Old Testament, the, the first one that came to mind was Jeremiah. Jeremiah or one of the prophets, because Jeremiah was a lot in, like Jesus in his, in his personality in the way that, in the things that he did. Like Jeremiah, Jesus could be tough. Both confronted their enemies over and over again for their hypocrisy. On the other hand, both were tender-hearted and deeply loved Israel, weeping over her sin. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet because of his sorrow and frustration over the conduct and eventual fate of God's people. He didn't just prophesy judgment on them, he felt every high and low with them. He wept over their sin and its consequences. But he also never failed to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Despite rightly predicting the captivity and desolation of his people, Jeremiah also predicted that they would be gathered to the land again 70 years later and in the final messianic age of this world, the millennial kingdom. Jesus was similarly brokenhearted over sin. He didn't come solely to declare God's judgment and the, and the repentance of sins. He came as a man, experiencing everything we do and then willingly giving his life to pay the penalty for our sin. He wept over Jerusalem with compassion when he saw it for the last time before his crucifixion. Both hearts broke for sin's cost. But Jeremiah pointed to a day when God would restore Israel's homeland and renew her heart during Christ's reign on the earth. There are several pictures of Christ that are presented in, in the book of uh, Jeremiah. When you're uh, teaching Sunday school to children, you often use object lessons. In other words, you use physical objects to teach spiritual lessons. And there are several of these object, object lessons in, in the book of Jeremiah. And there are pictures of Christ, uh, things that we can learn about him from physical things. Christ is uh, referred to as the fountain of living waters. He's referred to as the great physician. He's referred to as the good shepherd. He's referred to as the righteous branch. That's where I took the name for, for this lesson. He's uh, referred to as David the king, the, the new David, the coming king. He's referred to as the redeemer, and he's referred to as Lord our righteousness. But Jeremiah's ministry lasted through the reigns of Josiah, 640 to 609, Jehoahaz, 609. Uh, Jehoahaz didn't even reign a whole year. He only reigned for three months. 
Jehoiakim, 609 to 598. Jehoiachin, 598 to 597. It's really Jehoiakim, but I say Jehoiachin so I can clearly distinguish whether I'm talking about Jehoiakim or Jehoiakin. So I call him Jehoiachin. Uh, and Zedekiah was the last king of Judah from 597 to 586 when Jerusalem fell. His call, uh, Jeremiah's call to ministry came in approximately 627 BC, the 13th year of Josiah's reign. Uh, that same year, Assyria's last great king, Ashurbanipal, died, leading to the establishment of an independent Babylonian state. And of course, the fact that Babylon was independent and a rising power uh, had great effect on Judah. That's a very ominous development for them, it turned out. It was during Jehoiachin's, Jehoiachin's reign that the king of this state, Nebuchadnezzar, rose to power and attacked Jerusalem, sending Jehoiachin captive to Babylon. So then Nebuchadnezzar set up Zedekiah as a figurehead over Judah. And then, of course, when Zedekiah rebelled, he eventually laid waste, laid siege to and destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in 586. There are several important historical events that happened during the period, during the time of Jeremiah. Events that we can read about in, in secular history. First, there was the Battle of Megiddo between Judah and Pharaoh, Pharaoh Necho of Egypt. That's one of the few times that the Bible actually names which Pharaoh it's talking about. Usually when it's talking about a Pharaoh of Egypt, it just says Pharaoh. It doesn't identify which Pharaoh. But there's a battle between Judah and Egypt in which the good king, Josiah, was killed. Then there was the Battle of Carchemish, uh, near the same spot about four years later, during Jehoiakim's reign. He had become a vassal of Egypt. So once, once Josiah was, died, was killed, uh, Judah was kind of a puppet state of Egypt. In this battle, the Egyptians were defeated by Babylon, and the first deport deportation of Jews followed. So... Judah had definitely picked the wrong side in that fight because they were with Egypt, and Egypt was defeated. Then, of course, the, the big one is the capture of Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, the destruction of the city and the temple, and the exile of the greater part of those who were left to Babylon. Some of the things that we can learn from the book Jeremiah's example is a reminder to stick to the ministry God has called you to, no matter the challenges and hardships. And Jeremiah certainly raised some challenges and hardships. Resistance from others shouldn't surprise you. In fact, you should expect it. As the cultural climate grows increasingly hostile to God's truth and the gospel, you need to rely on God more than ever, seeking the right balance of love and truth the world needs to hear. We need to speak the truth in love, of course, but we need to speak the truth. 
God views life as sacred. That's a very important lesson that we learn from the book of Jeremiah. He told Jeremiah his plans for him began before he was even born. God knows each of us from the moment of conception. Of course, before that, he knows us from the foundation of the world and has a meaningful plan for our lives. A meaningful plan might not always be one that we enjoy, but <laughs> he has a plan. Only the living water Jesus offers can quench your spiritual thirst. Through Jeremiah, God mentioned two evils that his people had committed. Leaving him was the first evil, and trying to dig their own broken cisterns. A metaphor for trying to find satisfaction in something other than God. But only the Lord, the fountain of living waters, can truly satisfy. As is always the case with the prophets, uh, the liberal scholars always try to argue that certain parts of the book couldn't have been written by the, the prophet. But there are some good reasons for believing that Jeremiah did write the book, even though he did it through his secretary, Baruch. The title of the book claims that the prophecies are those of Jeremiah. The character and contents of the book fit the tumultuous era in which Jeremiah lived, just before and during the Babylonian exile. Daniel, a contemporary of Jeremiah, possessed and cited from the prophecies of this book, verifying that Jeremiah wrote them. So he, he looked to the fact that Jeremiah had prophesied that, that Judah would be in captivity for 70 years. Later sources, such as Ecclesiasticus, that's an apocryphal book, and Josephus Antiquities attribute the book to Jeremiah. So both of those sources say that Jeremiah wrote the book. In the field of archaeology, the Lachish letters dating from 588 BC offer both linguistic and historical support for the authorship of Jeremiah. And then, of course, the most powerful one is that the New Testament quotes this book as the work of Jeremiah several times. You see some examples here from, from Matthew and Hebrews. Uh, the life of Jeremiah, a quick summary of that. He was from a priestly background, as I mentioned, from Anathoth, which was a Levitical city. He was predestined to the prophetic office before he was born. He began his preaching ministry under King Josiah. So, uh, as long as uh, Josiah had, uh, had Jeremiah to guide him, he was a good king, one of Judah's few good kings. His times were perilous. He spent a good deal of time in prison for his unfavorable prophecies. And we'll, you'll hear more about that next time, all of the things that he endured because he was faithful to God. He shared in the sufferings of the remnant left in the land after the Babylonian captivity. So while most of Judah was taken to Babylon, he remained in the land of Israel with a remnant there. 
he was finally exiled to Egypt against his will, but he, he spent considerable time in the, still in the land of Israel even after the captivity. Jeremiah began his ministry at about 20 years of age, so he was a young man, in the 13th year of the reign of King Josiah. He continues to prophesy after the destruction of Jerusalem in 586. Jeremiah was a contemporary of, of several other prophets, Nahum, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Daniel, and Ezekiel. There were probably several editions of Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah. The first edition was burned by King Jehoiakim in anger. So the, the king had his, his scribe, his secretary, read the book, and it would make him so mad he'd cut off a piece of it and throw it in the fire. And then the, the secretary would read some more and he'd cut it off and throw it in the fire. So the first, the first edition was totally burned up. Jeremiah rewrote it and added more words at God's command. So probably throughout his ministry, his secretary Baruch was continually adding his prophecies to, to the book. This may account for the fact that the Septuagint version of Jeremiah is about an eighth shorter than the Masoretic text, the, the text that is used for our Bibles, for our Old Testament. The, the Septuagint version is shorter. And some of the material in the the Septuagint version is in a different order than it is in the Masoretic text. The final version was no doubt put together by Baruch, Jeremiah's secretary, after Jeremiah's death. He incorporated the additional prophecies of Jeremiah and published the longer work, which is the basis for the Hebrew and English texts. Who did the Jeremiah's prophecies go to. Jeremiah's early prophecies were directed to the people of Judah in the declining days before the Babylonian captivity. That's chapters 1 through 39. The remaining chapters were directed to the discouraged and dismayed peoples scattered around the land of Israel as a result of the Babylonian captivity and destruction of Jerusalem. The audience of the first section of Jeremiah was the nation of Judah. The invasion of the Babylonians was still in the future at that time, in the, in the first part of the book. The last part of Jeremiah is directed to the guerrilla remnant who, who stayed in the land after Judah fell, to those who fled to Egypt to avoid being taken captive, and to the captive remnant in Babylon. So there's, there's three groups there. Jeremiah's readers then were scattered in three major areas. Some were still in the land of Israel. Some fled to Egypt. Those people that remained in the land of Israel later fled to Egypt. And we'll see more about that next time. And then, of course, the, the main body of Israel was, of Judah was taken into Babylon. The book of Jeremiah isn't put together in a strictly chronological order. So we'll, we'll look at that aspect of it, the chronology of Jeremiah's prophecies. There are prophecies before the fall of Jerusalem, chapters 1 through 39, and we can further divide those into prophecies during Josiah's reign, chapters 1 through 12, 
prophecies during Jehoiakim's reign. And you can see those chapters. And then finally, prophecies during Zedekiah's reign. He's the, the last king of Judah. And you may notice that there aren't any prophecies during Jehoahaz's reign. Remember, he was only king for three months. And Jehoiachin was only king for a year or two. Then there are prophecies after the fall of Jerusalem. And that's the remainder of the book, chapters 40 through 52. There are prophecies to the remnant in Israel, the people who were left behind in the land of Israel. Then there are prophecies to the remnant that fled to Egypt. And finally, prophecies to the remnant in Babylon. The early chapters of Jeremiah fall into three categories. Those reflecting the mourning of Jeremiah about his people's condition. Mourning with an OU. Those giving a prophetic warning about the coming captivity. And those looking beyond the captivity to the bright prophetic mourning awaiting God's people. The first chapters provide us with the prophet's call from his mother's womb, that's chapter in chapter one. The prophet's concern for his people's idolatry, injustice, and iniquity, the things that they were doing wrong in defiance of God, and the prophet's compassion for his people's lives. The prophet truly did care about them and their well-being, and yet they were headed in the wrong direction. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your doings. He says in chapter 3, Why then has this people turned away in perpetual backsliding, asked the Lord. And of course, that word backsliding, that's where it comes from. It's uh, become a, a popular word in the church in our day. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people, cried the prophet. Further, uh, in the part of Jeremiah written during Josiah's reign, the people's com complacence toward God's commands dismayed Jeremiah. They have turned back to their, the iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words. They have gone after other gods to serve them. So not only did they refuse to follow the true God, they went after false gods. Jeremiah recognized, Righteous are you, O Lord, when I complain to you. And like many of the prophets, uh, Jeremiah did his share of complaining. Nonetheless, he pleaded with God, Why does the way of the wicked prosper? That's always the question that righteous people have. People who seek to follow the Lord wonder why sometimes it seems that the wicked prosper. But God was quick to answer Jeremiah, in no uncertain terms, with the judgment on Judah at the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. So as we saw last week with Habakkuk, judgment is coming. During Jehoiakim's reign, 
so we moved on from Josiah to Jehoiakim. The uh, chapters re regarding Jehoiakim deal with the prophet's experiences, the 13 through 20, the prophet's exhortations, 25 through 26, and the prophet's exigencies. And exigencies means that which is required in a particular situation. So tonight we'll, we'll go through the prophet's experiences and we'll get into the section on the prophet's exhortations. We'll do the, the prophet's exigencies next time. So I, I mentioned about those object lessons that we often teach children in Sunday school. And there are several of those in this section on Jehoiakim. There's the almond rod in chapter 1. There's the, the boiling cauldron. There's the, the marred girdle or, or belt or sash. There's the, the full bottle, the, the, the drought, the potter's vessel. And I'll talk, give you some more about that in just a minute. Uh, there's, there's the broken bottle, the broken flask or bottle. The two baskets of figs. There's the good figs and the bad figs. The, the bad figs are the, the leaders of Judah, like King Zedekiah. And the good figs are the, the people that were taken into captivity, but they still will be preserved, will be maintained, will be kept through captivity. The good figs. There's the bonds and the bars, and there's the, the buying of a field. And we'll see how that, next time we'll see how that relates to the fact that uh, Judas betrayed, betrayed Christ for pieces of silver. And how that, the two connect. Uh, the hidden stones. The, the book sunk in the Euphrates River. So there's all of these object lessons. We'll look at some of them to, tonight. Over the next few chapters, God spoke through dramatic illustrations, introducing Jeremiah, instructing Jeremiah to do some performance prophecy, unusual visual aids that probably made, his, made him look crazy to the hardened hearts around him. But there was a message in, in these object lessons that Jeremiah was asked to perform. For the first one, God became Jeremiah's fashion consultant. He had Jeremiah wear a beautiful linen sash, a belt, similar to what a priest might wear, as a symbol of Judah's pride. Jeremiah then buried the sash near a river, dug it up several days later, and brought it out, muddy and ruined, to let the people know where their pride was leading them. So this was the first object lesson that Jeremiah was to take to the people. Jeremiah spoke of coming drought. Let my eyes run down with tears night and day and let them not cease. But the people rejected Jeremiah's compassion, his compassionate warning of persecution, making him feel like a man of strife and contention to the whole land. So often Christians are made to feel like they are the bad guys. They are, they are the ones who are stirring up trouble. 
They're the ones who are rocking the boat, so to speak. God forbade Jeremiah to go to funerals or places of feasting as a demonstration that there was no point in mourning Judah's demise. And there's also nothing to celebrate either, of course. He told Jeremiah not to get married and father children because they would die gruesome deaths. They shall not be lamented, nor shall they be buried, but they shall be like refuse on the face of the earth when the Babylonians came. Jeremiah said, the sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron, with a point of diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of their heart. So they were, in other words, determined to go against God and not accept his offer of repentance. Standing in the Benjamin gate at God's command, the prophet charged them, keep the Sabbath day holy. But if you do not listen to me to keep the Sabbath day holy, and not to bear a burden, then I will kindle a fire in its gates, and it shall devour, devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and shall not be quenched. He was trying to warn them once again of the consequences that were coming. God also had Jer uh, Jeremiah uh, visit a potter, and you know of this probably, where the prophet watched a flawed pot be reshaped into a useful one. God made it clear that he could shape Judah similarly, doing whatever he pleased with them. So God could shape Judah just like that potter uh, through the circumstances. Down at the potter's house, God taught Jeremiah that like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. God was in control. God's response was to send Jeremiah to buy a potter's earthen flask, a, a flask or a bottle, which he then shattered in front of the priests and leaders outside the potsherd gate, which led to the Valley of Hinnom, often used as the city dump. In the New Testament, the Valley of Hinnom is called Gehenna. It's used as a picture of hell. This illustrated how God would shatter Judah and Jerusalem. That's what the, the shattered flask pictured. But just in case the visual was lost on them, Jeremiah proclaimed God's promise. Behold, I will bring such a catastrophe on this place that whoever hears of it, his ears will tingle. Even so, I will break this people and this city. Apparently, the ears of the priest in charge of the temple, Pesher, did tingle at, the, at Jeremiah's prediction. He had Jeremiah beaten and thrown in stocks near the, one of the temple gates. So he was not happy at all with the message of Jeremiah. Mocked and discouraged, Jeremiah decided to quit the ministry, saying, God, saying of God, I will not mention him or speak any more in his name. He was ready to hand in his uh, official prophet card, so to speak. And given the treatment he had endured, it's easy to see why he felt that way. Jeremiah wanted to quit, 
but he couldn't. His word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. This message that he had to proclaim just welled up inside him, and he had to preach it. At the point of personal burnout, God's word fueled him on. Even as he struggled to continue, he knew God was with him and would deliver him from his persecutors. Immersing yourself in God's word uniquely revives and restores your spirit. God had upped the ante with Jeremiah's extravagant, peculiar presentations of his truth, but he covered his prophet with that same truth, assuring him with his presence in the midst of persecution. And we'll see next time just how intense that persecution will become. It was during this period of Jehoiakim's reign that Jeremiah uttered his famous prophecy about the captivity. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Now, when you read this prophecy, you might think, well, Jeremiah said that the captivity in Babylon would last for 70 years. So, 70 years it is. But if you examine the dates and you do some simple arithmetic, you'll come to see why this particular verse, this particular prophecy, has become so controversial. Some scholars have concluded that the figure 70 should probably not be taken too precisely. If you begin with 586 BC, when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians, then the period of servitude is only about 47 or 48 years, not 70. So what does it mean that they would be in in the Babylonian captivity for 70 years? And, And are the scholars right when they say this? They take 70 as an idiomatic expression, which is used in a stereotypical, non-literal manner to indicate a long period of time that satisfies the demands of divine judgment. So they say that when Jeremiah says 70 years, he doesn't really mean 70 years exactly. It's just sort of a symbolic thing. And being a multitude, a multiple, excuse me, of the symbolic number seven, it indicates completeness. So 70 is you know, 10 times seven, so it's indicating completeness, they say. And since it also designates an average lifespan, what we see in, in Psalms and also in Isaiah, that the average human lifespan is about 70 years, it suggests that the exile would extend beyond the lifetime of most of those who were taken captive in Babylon. So most of the people of Judah who were taken into captivity in Babylon wouldn't live to see that captivity come to an end. But the taking of Judah into Babylonian captivity took place in three stages beginning in 605 B.C. 
So yes, that, that final destruction of Jerusalem and the temple didn't come until 586 BC. But in 605 BC, God, or excuse me, Babylon began to take some of the people of Judah captive. And there was another time in 597 BC when they took more captives in the final desolation in 586. But the going into captivity really began in 605 BC. And exile did not um, end in 539 BC when the Persians conquered Babylon. So yes, the, the Babylonian Empire was coming to an end then when the Persians conquered Babylon. But it ended uh, a few years later in 536 BC when the Jewish people returned to Jerusalem under Zerubbabel and began construction of the temple. We learned about that back when we were looking at um, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. How Zerubbabel began to construct the temple in 536. So here we see a chart of some of the things that took place. And so we see that, that it did indeed involve a seven-year captivity from the time that the uh, Babylonians first began to take Israelites, Judahites, captive to Babylon. So in 605 BC, uh, many young people were taken captive, and that included Daniel and his friends. 605, and then in 597, uh, many of the leaders of Judah were taken into Babylonian captivity. That's when Ezekiel and thousands of other captives went into Babylonian captivity. And then finally that destruction of Jerusalem and the temple comes in 586. But there was a 70-year captivity from 605 clear on through 536 when Israel, the people of Judah began to return from captivity. Once again, you see those, those kings, the last five kings of Judah. Uh, the ones that we were concerned with were Josiah and Jehoiakim and Zedekiah. There was this brief kingships of like, people like Jehoahaz, uh, who reigned only three months, and then uh, Jehoiakim, who reigned about a year or two. Uh, one of the things that's sometimes confusing about these the kings of Israel and Judah is that they are known by more than one name. So that Jehoiakim or Jehoiachin was also known as Coniah or Jeconiah. And Jehoahaz was known, also known as Shalom. Um, down here we see the, the period of time that, that Jeremiah was a prophet. Quite a, quite a long time. And you can see some of the other prophets that were that overlapped with him. There's Nahum, here's Zephaniah, here's Habakkuk, and then later on there's Ezekiel and also Daniel. But the main point that I wanted to make with this chart was that there was a 70-year captivity. During Jehoiakim's reign, some more 
things that happened then. Of course, through the mouth of Jeremiah, God gave Israel one last chance to repent. But all the people laid hold of him saying, you shall die. They still weren't receptive to Jeremiah's message. Thus they sealed their own doom by bitter rejection of God's patient pleading through the prophet Jeremiah. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for faithful men like Jeremiah who continued to proclaim your word and faithfully proclaimed your message despite fierce opposition. We ask that you will help us to take heart from that and be strengthened in our responsibilities to, to serve you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.